everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Dead Cat. This is Tom Dotan doing intro duties uh, for you. I'm here with Eric Newcomer, Katie Benner, and our special guest, Aaron Griffith, a reporter at the New York Times, who has been all over the Theranos trial. She's been one of the, the lucky reporters that has traveled down to the peninsula to check out the proceedings of text trial of the century and, and <laughs> feels like we have a trial of the century every decade but yeah uh, <laughs> yeah that's right okay so so yeah, the, it's a really short 20, century 20s. so far so the bar's kind of low <laughs> yeah we can take the decade though no one's supplanted that although the robert durst trial text about text that. no yeah. it's the startup yeah. fraud yeah. trial of a generation that that's what i said great that's smart. Oh, really is that in print okay. Did, I, is that a I, new I york times that. official i think i wrote that somewhere <laughs> nice I mean, no one's going to dispute that. It was we, we will define our generation by what we remember of the. Theranos the more trial. specific you are, the greater your hyperbole can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how uh, so, are you going? How often are you going to the truck? So it's three days a week: Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Although this week they added a Thursday, and so I'm going Tuesday, Wednesday, and our reporting fellow Aaron Wu is going down on Fridays. So, you know, a couple days a week. And explain to me even just the experience of showing up because I like the from reading the stories like the first day it seemed like a bit of a circus, and there were people like this was the big moment this was the reveal you know what is Elizabeth Holmes going to be wearing? Um, you know, <laughs> That's what, the question on everyone's know. mind. <laughs> yeah, what, no, but seriously though, like what when you arrive at the courthouse here does it have a circus-like atmosphere? Yeah, it definitely did during the the jury selection to a limited degree and then for sure on the first week of the opening arguments i mean that was when press from all around the country a bunch of people from new york flew in you know that's when everyone who's not going to maybe go to the day-to-day -day of this three to four month trial are gonna they're gonna come for the first the first day the first week and so that that was definitely a circus vibe i mean i showed up at like I don't remember, like five in the morning. I think I got a hotel the night before just because I didn't want to make that drive. And I was, no, I mean, because San Jose is like set up for conference, like, you know, just tons of conferences and th those are not fully back yet. It's like my hotel room was actually shockingly cheap. And anyway, so there's just already, there's already people there. Somebody had deputized themselves to like make a list and put us all in order. And I think I was, you know, maybe the, somewhere between like number seven and 13 or something. And then- In terms of what seat you would get? No, in terms of the line, because before there's a pre-line and then there's a line when <laughs> at, at like seven or seven thirty, they actually like open up this gate where you can start standing in official line. So everyone's kind of like gathered. So was, was this just a random person who cared about fairness who was doing the pre-line? Um, this was, was a per hmm. well, this was a person who worked for a certain a TV network who had they had got they, <laughs> they had wanted a to lot, make sure they were. Yeah, right they had a the lot point. of resources and their people were understandably at the top of the list and then yeah we wait in line for hours and hours and hours the courtroom doesn't actually open until like i don't know eight i think and then you go through security and while you're but while you're waiting in line outside still there's just like tons and tons of cameras there was a guy with like a helmet with a gopro on it and you know everyone's just kind of like waiting and waiting and waiting and then Holmes walks in and it's just like madness, like people sprinting toward her and getting in her face. And she's like trying to, you know, she's got her whole posse with her and trying to make her way in. And then she has to like go through security and take off her shoes and like show her ID and do all that. And everyone's just like taking pictures of her. So that part is like a little crazy. One of the days, 
there was a woman who was like, you're a good mom, Elizabeth. Great job. Like, we're rooting for uh-huh. you. And everyone's like, what? Because it's mostly media in the line. And um, that woman got in trouble for potentially causing a mistrial because she's like, there might be jurors around and she's like, potentially. We can't have people know that she's a good mom. Right. Introducing, you know, extra Right. No, intro. no. I mean, I mean, this stuff, I guess uh, things get incredibly sensitive yeah i mean people have been really respectful of the jurors like just trying to stay away from them to not you know like accidentally say something in front of them because like that would be a real nightmare to 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 be the one who messes it up do you know who the good mom person was no it was it was strange like pretty much every day all the journalists are trying to figure out who everyone in the courtroom is because it's calmed down now where it's not it's not packed like i can show up at like 859 basically and still get a seat in the courtroom are they letting you type on your laptops yes yeah although we have gotten in trouble for um typing too loudly like the judge has repeatedly chastised (laughs) the press gallery for like we're supposed to have silent keyboards which i don't even know what that is but but there's been times when he's like if your clamshell isn't silent you should get a new one and and like you can just tell when there's somebody who's doing something really you know saying something exciting you can hear the like kind of like low roar of keyboard <laughs> a good, like, a good uh, <laughs> warning to the jury to start paying attention when the media is like, yeah. like typing right. when the, when the clamshell like clicking starts popping yeah. up it's like oh especially, better wake up especially because we're not getting any heads up on who the witnesses are the order of the witnesses and so there's people who don't matter really at all to the news like yesterday there was a guy who from the New York Fed, who literally his job is to explain what a wire transfer is and confirm that Theranos has indeed done them so they can make the case that Theranos committed wire fraud. So, like, there's that kind of really boring procedural stuff. And then there's, you know, like, Rupert Murdoch or Henry Kissinger. And so we have no idea who's going to be next. And so every time... Have those people testified already? The the highest profile testimony so far has been James Mattis. And I guess that was kind of actually a surprise. He apparently had some opening in his schedule and they were like, let's get him in. And I kind of, I mean, I thought he was, he was like pretty credible. You almost feel kind of bad for him in a way. Like there was some really cute moments where he was like... When I joined Theranos's board, like I didn't know why she wanted me because I have no medical background, and she, <laughs> and and he's like, and so I I got some books about how to be a board member and I read them. And no, he was he he was nice. I mean, it was it was funny. There were there were emails that they showed from him to Elizabeth, and every single one he called her young Elizabeth. So you could tell that he had this like kind of grandfatherly vibe <laughs> with her. Is young you know? Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah that, that's the prequel. That's the... <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, he was he was he was one of the most she interesting cultivated ones, that. Right. I, I mean, we've talked about that a bit on the show. But like, you know, one of the things that it seemed like Elizabeth Holmes was very targeted about when she was picking investors and people for the board was like an older, you know, man who is, you know, not necessarily part of the medical world that seemed to, you know, buy her story yeah. without too many questions. Well, I... And so what would like it's, it's funny. It seemed like she did her job pretty well getting someone like James Mattis to refer to her as young Elizabeth every time. It's like, yes, exactly. I mean, I don't know how much of that was really intentional on her part or it's just that's who she that's who she was able to convince. Like, I think she she tried to convince people who had the expertise and didn't get as far with them. And the ones that took the bait were basically George Schultz and then through the Hoover Institute at uh, Stanford. And then he's the one who recruited all the other like admirals, generals, you know, high profile kind of older, right. powerful men. So, But Rupert yeah. Murdoch hasn't testified yet. No, no. Do you think he will or? I hope he, I hope he will. Sure. Uh, he's one of their biggest investors. It was like more than a hundred million from Rupert Murdoch. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, he the, was... He would come in to prove that there was harm? Or do you well, he's technically the, the, the like, victim in this case. Right. The, which is one problem, or one challenge, because right. early... And I've because, said on this podcast that I support him being defrauded, so I... I just like to be. And we have said that that is strictly Eric's point of yes. view, and we are not endorsing that. Yeah, um, I have no feelings. In any way that reflects us or our publications. Yeah, so the investors are technically the victims here. At, at the, the indictment initially included patients and doctors, but they were able to get that thrown off because they didn't lose money because they huh. their, their insurance paid for it. So it's technically about the, the investors. Only the investors? Not even somebody who result that misled them or anything? They're not victims of wire fraud in this case. They have testified, though. They've already had one patient and one doctor testify and there's supposed to be more everything is so highly negotiated and one of the things that they fought over is whether the patients can talk about their feelings of getting a wrong result so they were not able to talk about this woman who basically had three miscarriages she then got pregnant and theranos tests told her that she had miscarried again and it turns out she was pregnant and it was a viable pregnancy she had the baby so she testified about that traumatizing experience but she wasn't able to say that it was traumatizing. She just had to like lay out the facts and let the jury kind of fill it in. That was a, that was an interesting one because most of the uh, witnesses have not worn masks. Everyone else in the courtroom is wearing a mask, but during the testimony, they're like, if you're vaccinated and unvaccinated, let's not wear masks. And so they don't. But that woman had like this plastic, almost kind of bane looking mask over mm. her face. And it... It was very distracting and I found it like, and you couldn't hear and it was like getting all steamed up. And like, I found it hard to actually even fully follow because of that. So there's like some weird kind of logistical things there too. But you could tell it was, it was powerful because the defense didn't even ask her a single question. They were just like, okay, cool. Remind me here. I mean, the the things that she is being charged with aren't necessarily related to the accuracy of the tests, right? I mean, right. How, it's about how she defrauded so, investors about investors, about right. the accuracy. So it almost, I mean, right? Yeah, but it almost like you know. I imagine if this was about building like a character case against her and the damage that the alleged fraud caused, you could definitely go to town bringing in all the people who got inaccurate tests. But if it's not going to be as germane to the point, like I feel like the defense could pretty easily say like this is not relevant to the charges here and you could probably dismiss a lot of these witnesses. I don't know, Katie, you, you cover this stuff a lot. So you probably. I'm so sorry that I'm coming in late. I had a source call. <laughs> Even though I'm technically off today, Aaron, did you go walk all of the listeners through what it is exactly no. that no. Elizabeth Holmes is being charged with? So... We just dove right in. Boring. <laughs> we were talking about uh, the line outside the door of the courthouse, which is what yeah. the listeners really want to And I made really an incredibly gendered remark about what Elizabeth was wearing. Aaron, you wrote this great story taking us inside the courtroom. You wrote it with Aaron mm-hmm. Wu. And from your story, you wrote that Holmes, the disgraced founder, is being tried on 12 counts of fraud charged with misleading investors about her company's technology. Yeah. yeah, the case is different from perhaps the lawsuits and all of the other kind of things that Theranos has gone through and that she's being very specifically charged with wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. So it's all about what she told investors that turns out to be a lie that they made an investment based on and lost their money. I'm, I'm so curious, why do you think this case has captured the public imagination to the extent that it has. I mean, when you're describing this scene, there are people lined up to watch what you very accurately described as as mind-numbingly dry testimony. Testimony that's filled with jargon about wire fraud. So what is it about this case, do you think, has made people want to line up 
to see. I mean, that's something I think about a lot. Like I've had a lot of people send me messages asking about the logistics and how to get in. And they always ask like- Like regular people. Yeah, yeah. People in the tech industry or just in just general in business, people who are kind of legally, legal tangential, like paralegals and lawyer types. And they, they always ask like, can, can I see, can you see her? Or do you get a glimpse of her? And it's like, yeah, she walks over me in the hall every day when I'm sitting on the floor charging my laptop. But I think there is a little fascination with her as a person because she did build herself up into such a cult of personality. And then to, to discover that a lot of it was lies or was, was, you know, misleading or, or not true is just so juicy. You know, it's like almost a tabloid story in a way that I think is like so hard for people to look away from. And that story that I did last weekend was kind of comparing it to why people are so obsessed with true crime and murder stories. And I think a piece of it is like, we're glad we're not the victim, that it didn't happen to us. And so, and part of it is also, we want to get inside the mind of someone who could pull something like this off because we never could and, or even think to do such a thing. And then here's this person and look what they did. It's almost like, like in a sick way, it's like almost impressive, you know, (laughs) you're like, how did they do it and what motivated them and why? So I think there's like a fascination with that. How much is a bad blood in the background? There, there was a fight over whether John Carreyrou could come in the courtroom, right? And quickly here, we should say John, John Carreyrou is the Wall Street Journal reporter who broke the initial and a lot of the biggest stories about Theranos. And he wrote a book about it called Bad Blood, which has been used as the basis for a bunch of TV documentaries. And he at this, like concurrently, is also doing a podcast documentary or like you know podcast report about the trial so he's like very much a figure in this whole story yeah and the podcast is 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 pretty interesting so yeah he was there for jury selection and opening arguments but he is listed by the defense on the witness list and so he is the case in as is the case in in most trials witnesses are not allowed to hear testimony and so he would be banned from the courtroom his lawyers have argued that they put him on that list as in bad faith to keep him out of the courtroom because of Elizabeth Holmes, quote, animus toward him. And he uh, has... so, Someone, as they pointed out, who had people chant, fuck. Yes, fuck you, Carrie. Yeah. Right, fuck you, Carrie. Uh, one of his lawyers... <laughs> no, no animus whatsoever. Right, one of his lawyers brought that up as an example. In the in the There was a, mag- a separate magistrate hearing over Zoom about this matter yesterday. And basically the magistrate judge ordered that a Carrie Rue can, what, can be granted an exception and can come into the courtroom now. He basically called him an expert witness, which I initially thought was a really weird argument. But the, the judge kind of laid it out that he will not be testifying about things that he personally witnessed, he'll be testifying about things other people told him in his own reporting. So, I mean, the, we'll see if he even gets called. The, right. The, the, Hard to believe. The Holmes, he hasn't gotten a subpoena, I don't believe. Yeah, he has not gotten a subpoena. And the Holmes camp basically was saying, like, we don't know if we're going to call him. Right. We can't promise. We don't know what we're going to do. We might not put on any defense whatsoever. And and so the judge was kind of like, eh, Sorry. So bad blood definitely looms large, particularly during jury selection. It was so hard for them to find jurors who had not heard of Elizabeth Holmes or Theranos. A lot of them cited that, you know, they were aware of bad blood. They listened to a podcast or they, you know, saw interviews with Carrie Rue promoting the book. A lot of them knew about the documentary. You know, one person was like, I just, I don't know much about her. I just know she loves black turtlenecks. That disqualify the person or are you allowed to know that? 
That person did not get selected. I don't know if that was that played into it or not. I the selection was actually kind of done very quickly and a little bit behind closed doors. So there's a media coalition that is fighting to get the juror questionnaires made public, mm. and that has like led to all these other weird delays. The judge told the jury that they would be private. Turns out mm, not to do that. The jury drama has been so fascinating. I don't know if yeah, you guys the saw Buddhist the thing. Buddhist thing. Yeah, 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 there was one. The but she was like on the verge of tears. It, I felt as an older woman, I felt really bad for her. Basically. My read is that it seems like she was getting to the point where she realized that she might have to vote to convict and that it upset her so much and she couldn't, like, she just couldn't stand the idea of, like, being responsible for somebody going to jail. And she even volunteered to stay on the jury as an alternate as long as she doesn't have to vote. It was... Just to be a warm body? I don't know what that would <laughs> well, do. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there were five alternates to start. We're already down two, including her and this 19-year-old woman who turns out didn't have permission from her work or she wouldn't be getting paid to to be off work for four months so they dismissed her anyway yeah the jury drama has been very interesting i this is something that we talked about earlier with the ellen pow trial we've seen this happen in all sorts of criminal justice matters where the narrative around what happened is more powerful than what it is the investigation results mm. find you know that happened with you know Ferguson as well. The Justice Department put out an entire huge report about why the police officer in that case did not illegally harm Michael Brown, but the narrative is is going to live on that he was unjustifiably shot. So, wow. do you think that the that the outcome in the case will impact the narrative? Say the jury acquits her. Will it matter in terms of the bigger narrative around Elizabeth Holmes? I mean, that's interesting because I think one thing that I've been really surprised by in covering this is how much every person who has any inkling of knowledge about this believes she is guilty and has already convicted her. And so whenever I write something that is, you know, balanced and says, here's what the defense said, here's what the, you know, here's one way this could go, I just get bombarded by people being like, you're so like how dare you like give her any credibility mm. whatsoever she's a fraud she's guilty she's going to jail blah, blah blah and like i have to keep explaining to people like these jurors have never heard of her they're getting a very negotiated view of you know highly negotiated and highly limited view of one specific aspect of what she did like you have to consider it through that lens and so i think that if she is acquitted there will be such outrage like and cynicism in basically like Silicon Valley, in our justice system, in like business leaders. It, it, it kind of is the same cynicism that you see when people talk about how Adam Newman, you know, who was not, our lawyers would like me to say, ever accused of criminal fraud. They're, they're um, being very proactive, it seems like. Newman yeah. has people out and about uh, making yeah. sure. I believe the lawyers well, when that you work have for that my much money, wouldn't you hire great which, lawyers? Which lawyers are they? Shit. Well, anyway, that's what I was saying is that he... He, there's cynicism because he remains a billionaire even though he messed up so bad and so i think that will just be just add to that he was really good at what he did he was very very successful at the thing that it was that he did same thing about elizabeth Holmes. Well, no too. she she's in court right now i feel like that is you've you're, yeah, okay. you're in trouble. That's, that's Not very thing. good at navigating. There are many, there are many acts in American lives. But Newman, cl- but, but Newman so, is clearly view is is angry that the, about yeah, the narrative angry. about himself. Like he, but, but he not, got so much money. He's the money doesn't matter to <laughs> but these see, people though. They want it matters, the credibility. Right. He wants both. He's paying yeah. other people to be angry on his behalf. It's not like he has to get worked up and get mad at you. Oh, I'm time. sure he gets worked up. Eric, we went over this last week. Even if they're billionaires, they don't like being tweeted at. Right. It, 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 it's, the, it's the same thing as house arrest. So 
if Adam Newman is going to be forever yoked to the guy who, you know, bilked uh, SoftBank out of, you know, billions of dollars, that's not cool. As you pointed out in, a, in another story and <laughs> talking about Ozzy, which yeah. is, you know, there are no lawsuits that we know of so far when it comes to, you know, the, the fate of that media organization and, and Carlos Watson. But no, there's lawsuits. There's no, there's, there's, there's no, no federal in, criminal, there's no criminal charges. Cr criminal, yeah. sorry, no criminal su suits. And I, you know, it would probably it would surprise me if there were because it's kind of small potatoes compared to well, the kinds of things. Look at the, look know, at the other, look at the other cases, the Silicon Valley cases that Aaron mentioned in that story. I right. mean, have you heard of <laughs> I mean, I don't. I'm just going to say I don't know that the world um, had heard of some of these companies before they were indicted by federal prosecutors. The Headspin. What? Headspin was Headspin, one that was very right. scary. Had you heard of Headspin? One that no. was a, some sort of fecal matter startup. Ubiome, the poop up, testing startup? I don't think anybody had thankfully heard of Ubiome until um, <laughs> there were these sort of allegations. Uh, where, where's, it's still the prosecution right now, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean, there's 200 and some, 30 some people listed on the witness list, and we are moving very slowly through them. Like, the defense spent, like, four days doing cross-examination of Adam Rosendorf, the lab director. This, So he was on the stand for a total of six days. Like, it's 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 slow going, and I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> From the jury's perspective, what do you think? was the most important testimony or what have they heard so far? I've been sort of trying to remember to look over to see how engaged they are during various testimonies. And I feel like they were super engaged during Erica Chung's testimony. She was just super like well-spoken. I mean, she's had four years to like hone this story. And she was know? the whistle, one of the whistle. <laughs> yeah, she was one of the whistleblowers. And she, I think it was like also relatable. It's like, here's this woman right out of college gets her first job is so excited and bright-eyed and then like is disillusioned and tries to raise flags and you know or red flags and you know is rejected and then she gets stalked and by pis and like gets these cease and desist letters and so that i thought was like pretty compelling they the defense's strategy was just to like bore and complicate so they had her go through and just like read the entire org chart of the entire lab to oh try to God. make her seem like she's a very small and significant person who didn't know what Theranos was actually doing. And like, just long and kind of tedious and like, like, you know, trying to frustrate her a little bit to make her seem less savory. So like, and I don't know if that worked or not. And, you know, four days of like cross-exam of this lab director who was also, Carrie Rue revealed one of his main sources in the first Wall Street Journal article. Like, I don't know if they, if they significantly like poked holes in his story or if the jury is kind of like just confused and doesn't know what to think. A, a key question is just what Holmes knew versus what some abstract sense of the company. Yeah, that's knew, a big, right? and, that's a big, and how, how much, much she knew and how much she was responsible for and what, so she how much her. evidence has there been? That's one thing that's, that I've noticed is very repetitive with every uh, witness is that they're like, particularly with the, the Walgreens this week, they did Walgreens and Safeway execs who struck partnerships with the company. And it's like, what did she tell you? What was that based on? 
did you invest based on what she told you? And then it turned out to not be true. Okay, cool. We got, we checked, <laughs> it's like checking the boxes, you know, right. and with the, with a lot of the, the people who are raising red flags from within Theranos, it, there's always these questions of like, Elizabeth, look, Elizabeth Holmes was CC'd on that email. Who, who was in charge of this? Was it Elizabeth? And like, so they're constantly trying to tie that and like make it clear that she was aware of this stuff because that was definitely one of the defense's key things in their opening statements was like, she's just this naive person who trusted everybody else around her and they they misled her and she thought she was doing it right and sure she came up short but failing a business is not a crime you know that was kind of their their message which i mean it could it could work it could work and 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 basically their reasonable doubt is like it's possible she did not have all of the answers or or did not have all the data to be making definitive claims like she was just told enough to say well i think we're doing this and if you can make that point, then you could pr prove enough reasonable doubt that it's like this was not willful, you know, fraud or, or willfully misleading investors, I guess, is what they're going to try to do. Yeah. Erin, uh, have you covered a trial before? The only other trial I've covered is Epic. So I've never covered a criminal trial. <laughs> Epic versus Apple, which was right. a antitrust lawsuit, kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was a, that was way less fun than this. <laughs> yeah. So what is it? What if in terms of reporting how is covering a trial different is it fun what's the terrible stuff what's boring okay <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that's really crazy is i don't know that i've been in many situations where there have just been dozens of of my competitors writing the exact same stories as me every day. And so comparing like what they got out of it versus what i got out of it has been fascinating there's so many times I read other stories about the same thing that I wrote a story about. And I, I'm like, I was sitting there in the courtroom and I literally don't remember anyone saying this. Like I was talking with Adam Lashinsky, who's covering it for Business Insider. And he, he was like, oh, I thought that about your story too. I didn't remember this one part. And I was sitting there and I'm like, how is that possible? So that's been kind of fascinating. And then sometimes Just because people... you think it's hard for people to focus so constantly or because you think people are inventing no, I think it's par part of it is just, yeah, that I'm not, I'm not paying, you can't pay that close. It's very hard to pay that close of attention the entire time while also taking notes, while also tweeting, while also comparing, like, <laughs> right. while, while also, while your editor's asking you, what's, yeah, what's this story telling say your, today? telling your editor what's happening while also trying to pre-write your story. So, you know, it can be out at a reason like by print deadline. So yeah. People, Are you filing how weekly daily we're doing a weekly wrap-up now and then like when there's a really big witness we'll do like an individual story i think the wall street journal is like they have i think they've like maybe pre-written stories on like certain witnesses because there's some where they just like put it out and they've got 1500 words already like on someone who's testified for 15 minutes and i'm like how'd you guys know but they're you know they're really covering it extensively some people are like live tweeting it and filing every day other people are just kind of like picking off stories around the sides. So was there anything really high news value, little courtroom value or like what was the opposite of important to the jury, but super important to the press? They spent a long time talking about, for example, stock option backdating, which like is interesting to some of the financial journalists who are like, aha, mm -hmm. and I cannot imagine the jury got anything out of that. Just even seeing how the CEO of Safeway 
emailed with Holmes, like the metaphors he used, the like the he's got like it, it almost was this like increasingly sad relationship where he's constantly sending her emails like becoming discouraged, increasingly disappointed, and like you know like continue like the the f- partnership is falling apart, and you see it before your eyes, and you're like ah this poor guy, it's like he staked his reputation on it. That so th- those parts of it are like kind of fun for me, but I don't know if the jury <laughs> is like really <laughs> cares. And- well, it's interesting because think- okay. like your your consumption of it is not altogether like all, not all too different than the juries, right? I mean, they're obviously not able to pay attention to uh, everything that's happening today's testimony, and you know they'll have the transcript and things that maybe they will examine uh, during deliberations. But I, I guess this is all incumbent on the lawyers to tell a narrative that does stick and the things if they can manage to get you and three other reporters to simultaneously write the same narrative. <laughs> They've, bo- they've basically done their job, right? They're still kind of like laying foundation. So there's been so many times when they've like asked all these questions and we don't know why they're asking. And I, and I can't quite like figure out what they're getting at. And they never say, and aha, here's the smoking gun. Like it's always just, okay, and now moving on. Like they've, they dwelled this week so much on this national rollout idea. And the, the only thing that I can imagine is that later, da- later down the line when like Rupert Murdoch or whoever comes along, they're going to say, and did you invest because she told you X about national rollout? And they're going to say yes. And then it's the aha moment. But like they haven't had that many of those so far. So it's been hard to cover. There's these documents that in the opening arguments, they claimed that she basically put the logos of pharmaceutical companies on this like validation report that they did not, in fact, approve of and sent them around to investors. And so they're basically accusing her of falsifying documents. And they showed those in court this week. But they didn't ever get to the falsification part. They were just like, and did you invest based on this? And the Walgreens guy is like, yes. And so there's a lot of those things where we're building, but we haven't like landed any like real punches yet. And so I think everyone's still kind of waiting for that. Because you haven't heard from the real victims. You haven't heard from the investors. Right. We haven't heard from, well, Walgreens was an investor. And oh, I see. a juicy piece of it this week that I loved was that they, so Walgreens invested it's been written a million times. They invested $100 million and then also invested a $40 million convertible note. But I don't think anyone fully understood that that $100 million was literally just an innovation fee for the privilege of partnering with Theranos. So they didn't get equity or? Uh, they got, the equity was through a $40 million convertible note. Mm. But the $100 million, it had like certain milestones that they had to hit in order to pay it. But then there's also emails of homes asking for them to accelerate the payments, even though they haven't hit any of the milestones, hmm. which was just like, always a good sign. Yeah, 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 kind of wild. But I was just like, innovation fee, what in the world? I feel like one of the things that has come out of this trial and then in the story that you wrote looking at Theranos and Ozzy is this idea of the massive amounts of schadenfreude around these failed <laughs> companies. Because to your point, Retail investors can no longer get into private companies because they don't go public for so long, so they don't see that growth. And we're living this age where wealthy people are only getting wealthier, people are getting more disgruntled on every front. Groups of people who supposedly have it all and are the smartest, best, and brightest in the country get bilked. For some reason, (laughs) seems very satisfying these days. And I was wondering, (laughs) you know, if you can talk about that a little bit, and do you think that 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 will have any impact on a jury. That's a challenge that the prosecution has is like making this jury care that like the Waltons and Betsy DeVos and Rupert Murdoch lost their money investing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why they're bringing in all this other 
all the, you know, all the other stuff around it with the patients and like the bad tests and, you know, making you feel sorry for the employees and trying to, you know, make her out to be unethical. But one piece of this that like everything that you said is exactly what I wrote and agree with. And like, yeah, we like people hate billionaires now. It's like, they're not like these benevolent, like, Oh, you know, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. It's more like, like people, there is a, a very strong attitude that you see out there of like, fuck the rich. But I don't know how much of that is a piece of this and will be a piece of this in the end. I'm not, I'm not really sure. What do you guys think? Well, that's what's <laughs> interesting about it to me because you know, you have, as the lawyers here, you know, or as far as, as, the, as the prosecutors, the, the narrative that you create has, you know, you're, you're trying to prove your case so that you win. But also, you know, part of the things that can help you win are the greater narratives. You know, if you are a member of the jury, you are doing justice, not just by punishing this person for a specific crime, but by setting an example <laughs> mm -hmm. that can be seen more broadly as and other people, if you're thinking of doing that, this will happen to you. Which is why I'm, I'm so curious about, you know, you're saying this will fuel the cynicism yeah. about tech. It's like it, it, that's a lot to put on the prosecution to say not only does Elizabeth Holmes need to be charged for, for wire fraud, but also she needs to be charged for being duplicitous in a way that Silicon Valley represents misleading promises about what this technology can do. And I, I you know... Do you think that that's a case that they are trying to build and that has any sort of salience with the jury? Because this is also taking place in, in Silicon Valley. A lot of people do work for tech companies or they certainly know people that work for tech companies there. And so do you want to try to punish an entire industry or, or the, the sense of an industry for the, the wrongdoings or alleged wrongdoings of one person? Why I'm so eager to see the jury questionnaire, the juror questionnaires to see what the background of these jurors are we've learned we've heard from a few of them but like in the wardar but i think that will affect the case that that they make and to some degree because yeah if these are people who work in the tech industry and maybe have worked at a startup and can relate to that feeling of scrambling or blitz scaling or whatever you know startups do <laughs> to like you know try to make it work then then maybe they might like sympathize with her a little bit but i think odds are if you work in the tech industry you probably heard of her and were dismissed yeah. but if you are someone who works in silicon valley lives and works in silicon valley and in the tech industry and its wealth and power is looming large over you all the time and you kind of like hate that then you know she could come to symbolize a privilege that like is oppressing you all the time and that could also be a part of it they haven't really in fact they've already argued a little bit about whether or not she can use the defense of like but in silicon valley everyone does it and the judge basically said she's not allowed to argue that she was singled out but they're allowed to talk broadly about the culture of silicon valley but they really haven't like focused on that too much one thing what i will I, say what... oh, I, I was just gonna add one thing that i found so fascinating about this is how and it's been going on since the initial article happened in the Wall Street Journal is just like how aggressively the VCs uh, and and tech leaders are distancing themselves from this and how angry they are to 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 hear that this is a case about right. Silicon they, Valley. They forget that Mark Andreessen seemed to be blocking people back in the day when they would attack her on Twitter and like there was definitely a. I don't and remember that. Weren't well. we talking on this podcast? I mean, there are lots of cases where. Regular what, what there, venture capitalists. There what's was a their best argument reaction? for why this is not a Silicon Valley case? You know, because what's the she, best argument? It's a, it's a diagnostics didn't, company. She didn't raise from any. The only real, like, classic Silicon Valley venture firm that she raised from was Tim Draper, and so they're like, he doesn't count. 
and and then and it was super burn it was early and then harsh how right and you could almost make a case and i think carrie rue in his books and interviews has made the case that it's like look an angel investment in an idea it's not really fraud i mean you 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 invest in all kinds of things that don't pan out it it really got to be a lot hairier when it was you know at the betsy devos rupert murdoch level right but that's when she was making those like like, actually false revenue projections and she was saying we'll make a billion dollars in revenue when they literally had zero like that kind of stuff is that's when it gets into fraud but it's totally normal and that's why silicon valley vcs initially had that defensive like knee-jerk response where they're like just give them time and they'll figure it out and then as more info came out then and it was clear that there was some you know major misrepresentations happening that's when they all were like well this isn't actually really silicon valley even though it's in palo alto connected to to stanford you know like (laughs) it's like, it's and she in was Silicon also Valley, like and she used the playbook. Celebrated yeah. by, she was celebrated by the community. I thought that was yeah. one of the strongest cases people have made, is that like whether or not she raised the money, she drank their Kool-Aid, she replicated their fucking fashion styles. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, yeah. I'm just sad well, that black turtlenecks have been ruined. Like I, There have been days that when I've thought about, like I've looked in my closet, grabbed a black turtleneck, and been like, I cannot wear this into the courtroom. They'll think I'm mocking her. Oh, not the courtroom, no. <laughs> I've just been wanting to know this. What are the what are the lawyers like, or what's sort of the vibe on each side in terms of st- their style? Holmes lawyers are like Williams Connolly, which is like a very prestigious law firm. They're well known, and they they look slick. They have very nice suits, nice watches, nice shoes. But it's yeah. fine. What's what are the pro- the prosecutors? Do they seem like they went to you know they're they're um, law school or whatever? Or? The prosecutors seem very competent. They're they're very so the judge has a really like soft and kind of like meticulous and orderly vibe and so that's been for the most part the vibe in the courtroom like it's almost like quiet in there except for on the cross examination of of Dr. Rosendorf when Lance Wade was just like really kind of like attacking and like that was there's only been one witness so far where they have really like attacked do you think this is catching on with the broader public it's always hard to know as a journalist like, what are your traffic numbers on impact. these stories <laughs> i i purposely never look at that and whenever i do it upsets me because you know there's always like one story i cared a lot about that no one reads and the really oh, the yeah, really the dumb one i popped off that was it's just the yeah so of course all we care about is our tweets that's really yeah what yeah so the going. on the twitter front i have been surprised i some of the days i've kind of like live tweeted it and I've been surprised with like people are really following along and engaging and I'm like this is really getting in the weeds here people and they seem to like be fascinated by it I mean they're maybe because the access to it is so limited you know a lot of other trials that have been happening in the pandemic era have had at least like like a hotline where you could listen in and they're not doing that so people have seemed really interested in it and like kind of like what i was saying before for the same reason that people are interested in in true crime in general like one of the people who told me who wrote to me that said they wanted to come to the courtroom said that she was a fan of white collar crime uh, <laughs> which side of it wait yeah she didn't say and i, I was like Just generally as a practice yeah i was like do you mean like you're a, like a fan of like stories about white collar crime but I, I think that's what she meant but it was just it still made me laugh. and there have been multiple book clubs that read bad blood that have come to the trial oh that's extra credit yeah. that's nice and some of them have you know said that it, they expected it to be more exciting because it's not you know it's there's there, like the thing that you that you get misled about on like you know tv trials is that like there's so much boring tedious procedural stuff and so much fighting over procedure and what can and can't be said 
What, what do you do for lunch? It's, well, be, the, the judge is, the schedule is always weird and we don't get very long breaks. And so I generally am like chugging a Starbucks sandwich. It's so sad. That's like, oh I, do you remember that horribly depressing interview that Mike Isaac gave to Grub Street where he said he voluntarily eats <laughs> the egg, white. Yeah, egg yeah, yeah, yeah. scroti just as like a practice? What's wrong with our was... brains that I know what uh, Mike Isaac likes? Like if I was in a trivia league, like I would get that before like some question of oh, history. Yeah. Like no, it's what, what is it that history. Mike Isaac, Only Mike Isaac would Isaac eat at a Starbucks? Uh... I think it was so bad that that you couldn't help but like have it burned onto your brain. But yeah, I feel like I'm now yeah. channeling that. So we had this conversation with Ben Smith where he kind of alluded to this idea that the startup world, especially in startup media, it's it always feels like sort of fraud adjacent. You're all... <laughs> <laughs> I love that he said that. <laughs> You're always hustling. He didn't use those words, but I'm paraphrasing yeah. him right now. But do you think that the Valley acknowledges that in any way? Do you think that things like the Theranos trial and sort of mo more high profile blowups cause the industry to look inward as a moment to be introspective? Or do you think it's like a, this is a one-off freak show, a few bad apples, look the other way, proceed kind of thing? Yeah, I, I wish that it was causing introspection, but I think if that was going to be the case, it would have happened in 2016 when all this stuff was collapsing. And I think I wrote a story about it at the time. Like, it was not just Theranos. It was, like, the the mayo, mayonnaise company that was buying its own mayonnaise from the stores. It was, Hampton you know, Creek. They, they changed their name. Yeah. Uh, and they're, but something. they're still doing it. So, anyway, I, just, that, that, just that, that retrospection would have now. happened then. And there were many other, you know, examples of it. You, know, you guys interviewed Parker Conrad. Like, they were, they were cheating on tests. And there's lots of places where... Startups they were, corners. you know, clicking a lot. No, sorry, I'm not going to get whatever, into the technicalities of whatever it was that. exactly. Yeah, but yeah. they were, they were, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, they're, they're, that is kind of baked into the culture a little bit. And it is a part of like starting something from scratch is that you have to convince investors of a vision of the world that does not yet exist, that you hope to make exist. And if you come up short, are you are you a fraud or did you just like fail and that's like kind of where that line is and so i think most people are just like oh well she obviously crossed like very clear lines and that would never happen to me so i don't think that there has been a connection that is made i do think there's a big difference between coming close to sort of line suggestive saying mm -hmm. we can be big and like the bright line crossing to me the bright line is very important and it's a big difference not not just sort of a, a difference in sort of increment that's definitely something that the defense has tried to they've tried to muddy that and complicate it a lot like there's a few very very clear instances where she said we have or like theranos is being used in medevacs and on the battlefield in afghanistan and it obviously wasn't but then there's many other instances where she said, we're validated by Pfizer. And like Pfizer did do a validation test and they did give them some money early on for some kind of clinical thing. And like, if you like, they're just trying to like complicate it enough so that it's like, well, some of what she said seemed kind of right ish, close enough, blah, blah, blah. Maybe she didn't get all the details right. And so they're like, a lot of the things that she, that's being, that's coming out in the evidence now is what you're talking about, which is like just, a little bit fudging things, not egregious bright line crossing, like a clear, a clear lie. What we've seen in the last like five years is stuff in Silicon Valley has gotten even crazier. Diligence has gotten like 
even crappier because like deals, right, right. deals are but it, but it, more competitive than which... ever and investors are saying you should just 10x your your revenue projections even though you're never going to hit that like that's how you'll raise your next round of funding so like just say you're going to be 10x even though that's like so but impossible the, the counter argument to that is multiples have gone up right if it was all just we're inflating future revenue projections then the multiples could stay the same but they are biting the bullet and saying no we're willing to pay 100x revenue, not 10x. So mm -hmm. there is a reality to which the prices are just what the standards for prices are changing. Eric, the price is a reflection of how much money is out there to be invested. Right, right, right. But I mean, so you that's understand not my point? My point is they're, the not, they're not lying. It's not like the multiples of the future revenue have stayed the same. The multiples of future revenue, the multiples have gone up, which is a level, which is an honesty about yeah, but multiples of future revenue, that's calculated. a little bit, the, the multiple that somebody will pay on future revenue as an investor, I think you're conflating that with what the company itself says it will make in the future. That's different. Right? I'm just saying we don't have, is there strong evidence that future guidance is more inflated than it has been in the past? Or is it just the case that investors are willing to pay more for the same future guidance? I think that I think that the point is it's about diligence and the and the ability to just not have to be Definitely checked on to not have That's anything true. to no not question. have anything you said verified. So that a lot that creates the environment where if you are inclined to stretch the truth a little bit or exaggerate or say you have this customer when in fact it's not fully locked in, like that's your chance to but, do but it. But to play my best Mark Andreessen, one of the biggest problems with America right now is that we're too slow to do new things, that we're too apprehensive. And so, sure, maybe it's sad that like 5%, some percentage of companies are going to be able to lie and get some money and ultimately probably still fail. But the idea that we're deploying capital faster for people doing interesting things is good. That, that's better than just sitting on our hands and not having that percentage that's, that's faulty. But maybe, maybe like in, in closing here about this and, and thinking about reflection for Silicon Valley, I think it's interesting that the bulk of Theranos' time, you know, when it was raising all this money and, and had all these outlandish projections happened in, what, 2015, 2016. Think about how much more money is in Silicon Valley now. That was pre-vision pre fund. Yeah. To me, it would seem like as more money comes into the system, there needs to be a broader industry correction for there to be real introspection. But at the end of the day, if you're Sequoia, Andreessen, Excel, whatever, you didn't invest, like you're like, our processes work. Like if you avoided that company, that that that, that is, I, you can't be indicted on your process because you didn't make the investment. I think that Theranos is the most extreme version of what we're talking about here. And there are lots of less extreme versions out there. And so that's kind of like if you're a drug dealer being like, well, I'm not El Chapo. You know, it's like the most extreme ones are the ones that fail first. I think we might see a lot more of this with SPACs. I mean, that's where a lot of these problems with like the Nikola thing, the guy rolling the truck down the hill to show that it drove itself. Companies that are going public a it lot did sooner. did in that minute. With yeah, the yeah, companies that are going public a lot sooner with a lot less to show and are using this backward way that avoids having to do certain disclosures is, I think that is much, much more likely to result in some kind of terrible blow up than like the private investing that we're talking about where Rupert Murdoch or VCs lose a lot of money. All right, Aaron, we should we should probably let you go. I'm sure you've enjoyed not sitting in a courtroom for, for several hours, though you still had to listen to people growing on. So <laughs> hopefully. It's a pleasure. 
Yeah. Thanks right. so much for joining us. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.